This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon. Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on 365 Sportsick365.com. Every Tuesday, myself and Grayson Grundhafer sit in this very studio, talk some Baylor football, basketball, whatever the flavor of the day, flavor of the week, flavor of the month is. And we've got a lot of that in store on this episode today. For those just joining us, usually around an hour or so, give or take a little time here or there. But, uh, man, we got a lot to get into as uh, the offseason is in a full swing. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, 365 Sports Radio host, joined by Grayson Grudhafer, Director of Broadcasting team and recruiting reporter for Sikkim365.com. And uh, we've been doing this podcast for, I don't know, four or five years now at this point. It's had different names, although this one's pretty much stuck over uh, the last uh, couple of years or so. But first time just going outright live. So, Grayson, uh, good to be here. Hopefully uh, you're glad to be here as well. And how's it going as the college football season has now officially wrapped up? Yeah, it's going good. And I, I got to say, our first time going live and we go live and immediately there's a commit. So I think that we need to go live more often as uh, Baylor just picked up a uh, commitment from Liberty linebacker uh, transfer Mike Smith. This was a name that uh, we'll talk about here in a little bit, but I mentioned him on the board uh, earlier this morning, actually, just kind of one of those surprise visitors. So pretty cool that we get to give kind of an instant reaction on that. We'll talk about obviously the other reactions from this weekend, but yeah, I mean, first time going live, this is, this is pretty cool and hopefully it becomes a staple as we continue to move forward and do the Bearcast pretty much every single week. Yeah, this is a, a Baylor centric podcast. We'll dabble in big 12 stuff uh, here and there as it, you know, permits or as it's uh, of interest, but uh, yeah, I've been doing this for quite a while. So this is nothing new. It's different that we're going live with it. So let's start off uh, and, and get right down to, to the news of the week. And uh, as you mentioned, there's a new commit to discuss. There's uh, some others, you know, there's some attrition to discuss uh, going in both directions. But uh, I mentioned last night the college football season wrapped up. Uh, and so before we dive into all things Baylor athletics, have to get your thoughts on a historic beatdown. I mean, truly historic uh, we've never seen anything like that uh, in any bowl game, quite frankly. Uh, not just in the national championship setting, but uh, I mean, this is one that you know, kind of, as much as TCU helped, you know, propel the Big Twelve forward and and playoff discussions and kind of tried to wreak havoc to the narrative about there's only two conferences that can win it. Uh, they might have kind of erased all of that goodwill and that that move forward with the performance last night. I don't know. That will be told over time. Uh, obviously, we've got an expanded playoff coming, so you know them simply making the playoff is historic and not something that anybody but Oklahoma's done. And to, to win a game, obviously, is something that no one in the Big 12 has ever done, so you give them a lot of credit. But, man, alive, that was as bad of a possible outcome as you could have ever had imagined if you were a TCU fan last night. Yeah, I mean, and it was just... You, you feel bad because if you put yourself in that situation, you're paying all this money to go see this game, and then you show up, and it's very clear from the opening snap that Georgia was just 
the far better team. I mean, talent-wise, they were phenomenal. Um, X's and O's-wise, they were really, really good in that game. I felt like they did some really creative things to really keep TCU off balance, and, I mean, that always helps when you can run the football, Um, and that's exactly what Georgia did. Uh, And then on the flip side, you know, TCU, unfortunately, their offense just came to a halt, and they couldn't figure out Georgia's defense at all. Um, Max Duggan played a terrible game of football, sadly. As with everyone, they couldn't block. They couldn't run the ball. Uh, It just was a bad day, and it completely snowballed. And I think Georgia, you know, really basically said, you know, we are the top dog in college football now with that performance. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So congrats to the Georgia Bulldogs. They are your back-to-back national champions and uh, all that adversity and everybody doubting them, Grayson, as you mm-hmm. heard uh, them commenting, all those Georgia doubters, you yeah. know, people that really did not believe in that ball club and that they were worthy of these national championships. Uh, they they had to find, you know, motivation somewhere, and they found it, and they, man, they, they put it on TCU last night. That was uh, – that was a forgettable game that we'll remember for a very long time because, again, there might be a lot of ramifications that, that come from that just in terms of how you view the conference, how you view uh, the season, and, and just overall, uh, what a great run for the Frogs. But, man, a mighty disappointing national championship game last night. So uh, I'm sure that will have some effects in recruiting You know, as, as we move along here. And let's start off with recruiting. Baylor, as you just mentioned, picking up a commitment, but uh, there has been some movement as far as, as on the attrition front. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into one player that's no longer on the roster and kind of go from there. Uh, special teams has seen uh, some turnover already. We don't know who the special teams coach is going to be just yet because they haven't announced that. Matthew Powell is going to be safety's coach, so it's probably going to be somebody else holding special teams down. Uh, obviously losing Ronnie Wheat uh, as they decided to make the move on him after just one year. You've got guys like Isaac Power leaving to graduation, John Mayers, and uh, now Noah Rauschenberg, who's been your kickoff specialist for the last four years, really, and uh, really became consistently uh, great at giving you touchbacks the last couple of seasons, announces that he has graduated. He is going to be entering the transfer portal. So there is uh, another name now uh, in the portal for Baylor, and they're right around double digits uh, now at this point. So uh, another free scholarship that uh, they're already probably put into good use, but your thoughts on Noah Rauschenberg entering the portal? Yeah, so a couple things on that, I guess. You know, losing Noah, I think, was kind of, it was kind of thought that this was going to happen. He'd pretty much been a kickoff specialist his entire time at Baylor, never really cemented a role as far as field goal kicker goes. And so you kind of put that together and you like having a weapon on kickoff, but I think Baylor felt like they could find someone who could kick off well, but also actually be their field goal kicker too. And so um, Baylor addressed that uh, through the transfer portal um, by adding Michigan State transfer kicker Jack Stone, who I think is going to come in, provide some relief in the kickoff game while also being a nice competitive option to Isaiah Hankins, who's been on the roster for a while now. So now they'll have two kickers. um, And then, of course, Palmer Williams, uh, the All-American Bowl uh, member who is in this current recruiting class, but he's more of a punter. I actually talked to him this weekend, and he wants to do kickoff at some point, but he does feel like that's probably in his future and probably won't be his role freshman year, which makes even more sense that Jack Stone was added to the roster from Michigan State as a walk-on kicker. So there is uh, some movement there with Noah Rauschenberg, and I again, I believe it's like up to 10 guys now at this point mm-hmm. that have uh, entered the transfer portal for Baylor. Some people see that, and they panic. They're like, oh my gosh, it's 10 guys. I mean, we kind of told you along the way there was a lot of attrition that would be coming down the pipeline. 
um, whether to this extent or not. We knew there'd be a number of guys, and so they went from like a couple during the season to just very quickly now, you know, eight more scholarships that open up, and they're obviously through the transfer portal filling those up uh, pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, congrats to uh, Noah Rauschenberg on moving on to the next phase of his life. He was, you know, a really good kicker, and you could uh, depend on those trusty touchbacks more often than not the last couple of years. So that was a pretty big deal. But you mentioned uh, Jack Stone now coming in from Michigan State, uh, and. Grayson, a walk-on, so he also will not be taking that scholarship, and that leaves you one that's still free, and uh, there's obviously some method behind that madness right there. Right, and then you have Hankins as well, who's a walk-on too, and Baylor, frankly, has spent a lot of time giving out scholarships to special teams guys, and a lot of times that doesn't pan out. You know, it's kind of hard to find kickers and punters who are consistently, or at least at Baylor, who have been consistently reliable year in and year out. It seems like it's been every other year for a lot of guys. Um, So finding a walk on who he was the number five ranked kicker, according to Chris Saylor kicking in 2022. He spent his freshman year at Michigan State, didn't get a lot of run. He made 15 of 16 extra points, two of four on field goals. One of them was blocked. But the thing that stands out to me is he made a kick from 51 yards and he made a 43 yarder. The two he missed were both from 44 and 45 yards, which tells me he has the leg to kick deep kicks. And when you've watched Baylor over the years, they really haven't had a guy who you felt really comfortable once you got to that 45 yard, 50 yard mark that he could go out there and competently knock down a long field goal. I think Stone could bring that. Uh, he also averaged 58.7 yards on 53 kickoff attempts. Um, Only 13 touchbacks, so something to improve on. But remember, he was a freshman, so he's only going to get bigger and stronger. Um, So I think he's going to end up being a very nice addition. I expect him to handle kickoffs, potentially long kick duty as well for field goals, and maybe even uh, the short kicks as well if he can continue to build on that consistency. But I think they're in a much better place now, special teams-wise, than they were you know, at the beginning of this offseason when you lose, you know, Power and Rauschenberg uh, and John Mayers as well. So they're in a better better place now. So they had a big weekend of visits. Uh, a lot of guys that you had talked about on the website that would be coming in and, and taking their officials. Not a quarterback commit uh, coming out of this weekend. There was some speculation about that. Um, but that's still something that remains in the works. We did see Alan Bowman, who was one of those names you could kind of attach to Baylor, uh, he goes ahead and makes his commitment yesterday to Oklahoma State. So uh, he's off the board. And um, where you just kind of sit in your mind as far as before we get to a couple of these other commits, where they are coming out of this weekend and, and, and you know, as far as that goes. Right. So it was a big weekend for many, many reasons. They had around 10 guys who ended up taking an official visit to Baylor. Um, I guess let's start with quarterback. You know, Alan Bowman, like you said, committed to Oklahoma State. They also had Oregon State quarterback Tristan, uh, I believe you say it, uh, Jebia, uh, came in, visited as well. He's going to be a seventh-year guy uh, if he does end up at Baylor or wherever his next stop is. Really interesting story because he actually entered the portal just seven days ago. The thought was he was going to retire, And then he changed his mind on that, entered the portal, and basically visited Baylor immediately uh, to some extent. So they got him on campus. He'd be a nice veteran presence who's played quite a bit of football. Um, And really, when he was hitting his stride, uh, he tore his hamstring against Oregon in one of the bigger games in 2020. 
He missed all of 2021, and by the time he came back in 2022, I mean, the roster had been filled. He was no longer really in their plans as far as being a starter. So that's kind of the update on him. And then, of course, uh, Mississippi State quarterback transfer Sawyer Robertson, who's been a priority since he entered the portal. Uh, I feel good about where Baylor's at with both of them. Um, I think the Robertson thing, he's been... Uh, a heavy target. I think he's a great fit for Baylor. He's a great fit for what they're trying to to build at the quarterback position. And he's a guy who has the talent, in my eyes, to come in and be the starter day one as well. Um, I think he would push Blake Shapin uh, to a whole nother level, which is exactly what they've been looking for at the quarterback position. Elsewhere, Clark Barrington took his official visit. He was already committed, um, but Campbell was the only one that got to take the visit because Clark was getting ready for their bowl game uh, at BYU. Uh, East Carolina defense back linebacker Jairay Wilson, uh, he committed to UCF as well, um, so he chose UCF over Baylor. Um, he's got family in Florida, so they pushed really hard for him. They landed his commitment. Um, elsewhere, still weighing on a, de- on a decision from BYU cornerback Gabe Judy. Um, he's got some interest from UCLA and Tennessee, I believe as well. Um, and then we'll get into the commits, but right now I feel good about Sawyer Robertson. I feel good about what they did this weekend. They already have some commits landed. Um, they just got the third one today. Um, so I think you got to be feeling really good and you're going to see more decisions throughout this week as guys try to make that decision so that they can enroll in the spring, which comes up next week. So, uh, it's a big time right now. So there you go. There was uh, the latest on the quarterback, you know, room and, and kind of what they're looking at right there. Obviously, Alan Bowman off the table, but Sawyer Robertson very much uh, still, you know, in the thought process, I guess you could say, and, and waiting to see kind of how this all goes for him and, um, you know, something to keep an eye on there. Uh, then meanwhile, as we mentioned, Noah Rauschenberg on uh, the way out uh, due to graduation. Uh, so you add Jack Stone as a walk-on, doesn't take up that scholarship, but uh, some of these other decisions do take up some of these spots that have been opened up. So coming out of this weekend, uh, the original, I guess, commit, because Jack Stone was right before, right? He was right before this weekend? Yeah, and he took his visit actually before the dead yeah. period and then just made his decision um, when he did a few days ago. Yeah, at the end of the, of the week. And so yeah. then they brought everybody in, and then on Sunday is when the ball started rolling as far as the, the visits and commits go. And uh, that's when you had Isaiah Dunson, former Miami defensive back, who uh, gave his pledge to the Bears. Uh, we saw a couple of former you know Baylor players, Lorando Johnson, Al Walcott out of the secondary. They committed to Arkansas over the past few days uh, as most of the guys who have entered the transfer portal now have made their decisions. Seth Jones also uh, going to USF. That was another decision for a former Baylor guy that was made. But Joining and, Gary. Yeah. yeah, joining Gary Bohannon. But interesting to see Snacks and Walcott both end up at, at Arkansas. So, you know, they needed some help in the secondary. Even if those guys had come back, they weren't good enough last mm-hmm. year. And uh, here comes Isaiah Dunson. Uh, so what can you tell us about where he fits into the puzzle beginning next year? Yeah, and I think this is a prospect that, in my eyes, I think the Baylor staff just kind of fell in love with during the portal process because his process wasn't very long. And the thing of it was he wasn't really on anyone's radar as far as my radar, the media's radar, until he ended up being on campus on Friday. Um, and he took his official visit over the weekend, uh, six 
186 pounds, the length, the size, the athleticism, it's all there. Um, he was a four-star prospect out of Georgia in the 2020 class. Um, so he still has two more years of eligibility. And I think the thought process is his best football is still to come. And this was kind of going to be the year that he broke out for Miami. Um, so now the hope is that he breaks out for Baylor. Um, but again, he, you know, he's played in 20 games for Miami and doesn't have a ton of stats. You look at kind of what he's done and you wouldn't come away overly impressed. But that's why I think the evaluation process, the fact that they got him on campus, uh, got to know him. Um, I think just he checked all the boxes by the end of it. And so it was just kind of one of those things where they they fell in love with the evaluation, I think. And so I think there's a lot of potential with Dunson. And I think you're seeing a guy who the staff believes in could have a high ceiling once he enters the Baylor program. And he's an older guy, even though he hasn't played a ton at the college level. But still two more years of eligibility, so time to develop him even more. Corner safety? Corner. Corner. Yeah, he'll play cornerback for Baylor uh, as Baylor's trying to really address that position. And they'll probably look to add a safety as well, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen during this early uh, portal process. I think safety might be addressed maybe in the fall if they don't feel like they have the guys they need there. And the portal deadline is right around the corner. Yeah, it's pretty much going to be in the next week because, you know, you want guys to enroll in the spring. I mean, I've seen decisions late. Like, I think Dylan Gabriel was like the day of classes where he flipped to um, Oklahoma from, was it UCLA? Yeah. Yeah. Like, things can happen like that. But for, in large part, most of these decisions will be made this week so guys can enroll uh, coming up. I believe they would enroll this weekend, actually. Um, is I think when when they'll report, and then classes don't start till next week. All right, so Dunson uh, joins the mix out of uh, the visits this weekend, giving Baylor somebody in the secondary, and then uh, not too long after uh, yesterday, uh, you know, a few hours after that, uh, came word that uh, Baylor had also struck in the uh, tight end market as well as uh, Jake Roberts uh, from North Texas gives his commitment to Baylor. Uh, big body, just looking at the uh, the measurables, six five. Uh, seems if uh, what two fifty ish is I think about what he is as well. Uh, they lose Ben Sims, who was one of their better receiving targets last year. Although I think his season did leave something to be desired, given kind of what the expectations were coming in. Regardless, Drake Dabney's injured right now, so we don't know his status. Uh, you love Kelsey Johnson. He's got star written all over him at the tight end spot. But outside of that, it's all young guys. Uh, and, you know, Dabney's injury leaves it a little bit cloudy. We know how much Jeff Grimes loves to use tight ends. So they go and uh, pick up Jake Roberts. Uh, did you expect some tight end action in the portal? And what do you think of uh, his commitment? Yeah, I mean, he was offered uh, pretty quickly. So he was clearly a target for them. And I think the... The majority of this decision was, yes, they wanted to add a tight end because if you look at the room, hey, you know what, I'll get, I'll get back to that in a second, but he's a great prospect, right? I mean, this past season, 6'5", 250 pounds, he had 394 yards, three touchdowns for the mean green, and I think, again, you're seeing a guy who his best football's ahead of him. And so he comes in, he replaces Ben Sims, and I think my overall point of why they wanted a tight end is look at the depth chart. I mean, they got Drake Dabney and Jake Roberts, now, um, but before Roberts was there, you had Drake Dabney is the only upperclassman. You got Kelsey Johnson, who really is in a different mold than Dabney and Roberts. He's more of that H-back role. You can kind of move him around differently, but he's not a true, you know, he's not the true kind of tight end that they're looking for as far as a field stretcher. They want to have a variety of guys in the room, and, and I think that's the key, right? Having variety, guys with different skill sets, and so Roberts provides a different skill set that I think they're hoping they're 
they're going to get from Matthew Klopfenstein, Hawkins, Polly, Cody Mladinka eventually but they're not quite there yet. And so that's why you go out and add a tight end. That gives you three tight ends you feel like you can absolutely rely on going into the season. Um, and then you have the young guys who you can develop, and hopefully they, by the end of the season, are, are closer to ready to go. Um, but this ended up being a bigger need than I think initially thought. And then when you look at a guy like this where, you know, I talked about the numbers that he put up, but look at his offer list. I mean, Arkansas, Colorado, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, SMU, Nebraska, Indiana, uh, Rutgers. I mean, this guy had a bunch of Power 5 offers, and this is a great, great pickup uh, for the Baylor staff. He still has two years of uh, eligibility as well, I believe. Um, So two seasons there, you're going to feel really good about the tight end position going forward, and and he ends up being a very, very nice pickup for them. I also mentioned, not that this necessarily matters in the immediate future, uh, but his brother, Nate Roberts, is one of the best tight ends in the entire country in the 2025 class. Um, they're both out of Oklahoma. That's where they're from. Um, but, you know, Nate's, Nate definitely paid attention to this, definitely paid attention to how Jake was received on his visit. And who knows, maybe that becomes another another situation where Baylor lands both Roberts brothers at the end of the day. Um, but Jake is a great pickup for the immediate future, that's for sure. Well, they did land the Barrington brothers from BYU already yep. in the transfer portal. So no, uh, no stranger to, to landing some brothers uh, and, you know, making the – Making the family, you know, try to want to, to join all together uh, and help them out in the future. And so certainly that's something you have to keep in mind that there's a, an extra equivalent to um, or an extra wrinkle to to this commitment. But uh, Jake Roberts uh, joining the fold. And now another one, as you mentioned, uh, just fresh off the presses, uh, Liberty linebacker Mike Smith has committed to Baylor as of about 20 minutes ago. Uh, so from the Flames to the Bears, uh, another transfer portal commit, which I guess gives him 11 now, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, but Mike Smith, this is, like I said, brand new, uh, just coming down. So a linebacker now being addressed by this staff. And uh, clearly they've Made the change. Christian Robinson is coming in, coaching inside linebackers, replacing Ron Roberts. You've got Caleb Collins, who joined the staff uh, last year, uh, who's a, a young up-and-coming coach as well. So uh, you knew then losing Dylan Doyle, uh, Bryson Jackson, and, and there's others as well. This linebacker room kind of can get lost in the shuffle, but uh, it's it's one that's going to need some some help because there are they are losing a lot of experience, especially in Doyle. So where does Mike Smith fit into the linebacker puzzle exactly? Yeah, and then you. You also have the situation where they're trying to get faster, and so you you wonder after this season, does Matt Jones fit in the plan still at Will or Mike, or is he going to move back to Jack, where he started his career at Baylor? I think that's up in the air as well, but um, I mentioned earlier last week that, or at the end of last week, I guess, that Maryland linebacker Ahmad McCullough was not going to take his visit to Baylor, um, and he was supposed to. He got offered by Baylor, um, and they ended up canceling his visit. Well, the reason for that was Mike Smith. Um, So Mike Smith entered the portal on Friday and then was on Baylor's campus on Saturday. So they recruited him immediately once he got in the portal. They were able to uh, get him on a visit. And I think they basically found him before anyone else did. And they got him on campus immediately. Um, he was very good for Liberty this year. He's about 6'1", 225 pounds. He had 85 tackles, 10 for loss, and an interception. But once again, this is a guy who I think you're seeing the staff say, we think his best football's ahead of him. So he was at Mississippi Gulf Coast for three seasons 
Three seasons he was in Juco ball. Uh, He had 248 tackles, 19 tackles for loss, seven sacks, three forced fumbles during his time there. Then he goes to Liberty, immediately shows that he can play uh, at that level of football. Liberty played a really challenging schedule this year as well, Um, and he was a big part of their defense, which was pretty good at times this season. So I view him as a will. Um, I I think he's going to end up being a Will linebacker for Baylor. I think that's the natural fit. Um, And then at Mike, you know, you're still going to be looking at, you know, Josh White or maybe Matt Jones slides there or maybe uh, Tyrone Brown, something along those lines. But I think they're looking at Mike as a guy who could come in and play Will immediately for them. You've seen the production. He's played a lot of football. And now you got more athletic, you got more speed, and you have proven production at the linebacker position. This is a huge get for them, and this is one that was really, again, one of those that happened extremely quickly going into the weekend. And I think there's a lot of programs in the country, including Texas A&M, who are probably looking at him and thinking, oh, we wish we would have been able to get in on him before Baylor did. So I think he's one of those where you're not going to see a bunch of offers because he entered so quickly, but I think he would have blown up more um, than he did. Uh, just because he wasn't in the portal very long. All right, so now let's uh, reset the table now that all the the pieces are out there. You lose Noah Rauschenberg to the transfer portal. Uh, You go and and you do see some of your your former exits like Lorando Johnson and Al Walcott commit to Arkansas, Seth Jones to USF, and at some point maybe put a list together just for for the site for folks to keep track of and and just – you know, kind of reflect on where everybody ended up ultimately. But you already knew you had those two scholarships open, so then you get an, another one in Rauschenberg, and they turn around and get commitments from uh, Walk-On and uh, Jack Stone, Michigan State kicker, Isaiah Dunson, cornerback from Miami, Jake Roberts, North Texas tight end, and now Liberty linebacker Mike Smith. So they're in the double digits as far as exits. They're in the double digits as far as newcomers go. So let's reset here. Mm-hmm. Where is this now with – Double-digit departures and gains. Uh, Scholarship-wise, where are they? Uh, Needs-wise, where are they at this point? And how much attrition do you still expect that there could be? Yeah, so currently there's still three decisions to be made uh, from this weekend, and that's the two quarterbacks with Sawyer Robertson and Tristan Jebbia, and then BYU cornerback Gabe Judy. Those are the three outstanding ones. Um, I believe all three of those are... You know, offers that Baylor is definitely looking to take. They're looking to take all three of them, potentially. Um, And they're the priority targets. They all visit over the weekend, so you can tell there's high interest there. Um, So, yeah, they got three more that they're looking to add before spring football, as, of course, they're trying to get more depth at the quarterback position. They need it. They only have Blake Shapin currently on scholarship. Um, And then, of course, cornerback, which was an area of absolute need going into this offseason. So now, moving forward in time here, I think they might have a little more attrition uh, before spring ball starts. And then I think after spring ball, you're going to see, you know, quite a bit more as guys kind of figure out where they are um, on this roster. I also think you're going to see when spring football starts, you know, when you see that first roster, I think you're going to notice some guys gone. And I think that's going to be uh, pretty telling as well. Um, So that's kind of where I think they're at as far as what they need still. You know, looking at the roster, I still would love if they were able to find a way to add a center. Um, again, I, I like Timothy Dawn. I think he's going to be a very good prospect, but he's a redshirt freshman. So can they find an older guy to come in, and can they create the space that would allow them to bring in an older guy to start over him at least for a year or two uh, while Don continues to adjust to college football? Um, that's one area I'm looking at. I'm still looking at safety. 
I just don't see a world where they don't add at least one safety to the group. After losing Walcott and Christian Morgan and Devin Neal, unless you just love all the young guys who we haven't really seen play, I think a veteran would make a lot of sense maybe to play star or uh, field safety. I think that could be an area that they address um, after spring football. And then maybe defensive line. Maybe they decide to go out a defensive lineman. We're still waiting on a potential announcements from TJ Franklin and Gabe Hall of kind of what their intentions are. Obviously, they would love to have both of them back. Sure. Um, but outside of that, you know, they could add another one, another defense lineman, just to shore up the position a little bit more because depth-wise, there's still a lot of young guys there. So that's kind of where I'm at as far as what they could add after spring. Uh, but I think right now it's pretty much those three guys are, are the guys out there that are left, quarterback um, and then cornerback. All right, so that's where we are as far as Baylor recruiting goes. I think that pretty much sums it all up as far as, you know, as, as up-to-date as we can give you on all the incoming moves and outgoing moves and, and where the roster sits as of right now. So anything else football-related? Uh, we'll get into the mailbag, I guess, with some of the stuff, but uh, anything notes-wise to get into? Um just be just again be on the lookout for these decisions. They're they're going to be very important. Baylor needs to land a quarterback. We've talked about that this cycle. I expect that to happen in the next day or two. Um, that that an announcement is made um, from Jebbia or Robertson or both. Um, but that's that's the focal point, right? That's the one that everyone keeps talking about. And of course, Gabe Judy is a high level cornerback that they would like to add. But outside of that, there's not a lot. You know, I went to the All American game this weekend, covered that, watched Isaiah Robinson and Palmer. Williams, who are the Baylor commits there, uh, watch former Baylor commit and current ba- uh, Oregon signee Austin Novosad as well. Um, that that's, was that's, we don't say his name, in this right? Podcast yeah, of anymore. course, of course. But Robinson didn't play; he's still dealing with injury. But he told me he'll be back for track season. So encouraged by that, he's going to look to set some records in discus and shot put. And then Palmer Williams is enrolling in a few days here, um, and he's going to come in try to compete to be the starting punter for this team. I expect he will be, um, and then also just try to get you know bigger gets stronger um, but he looked really good in the limited amount he got to punt in this game because the uh, east absolutely blew out the west and <laughs> in the all-american bowl he hardly got to punt he had one punt in the first half all right so that's where we are um and you can always go over to sikkim365.com at any point and uh, catch up on all the news and uh, become a premium member uh if you want to get in on, on some of the scuttlebutt behind the scenes and just various other stories uh, throughout the year uh that you know, you can discuss with fellow Baylor fans or even some non-Baylor fans that creep their way in from time to time, most definitely. Um, but, you know, always a lot going on uh, in this era of college football. It truly is a year-round coverage sport now. And so, uh, as you can tell from our little recap here, there's been plenty in just the last few days alone. But stepping away from football as we uh, catch you up on, on all the goings-on there, uh, in the world of basketball, it's a tale of two teams. Uh, the Baylor women doing really well right now. We'll get to them in a moment, but let's start off with the bad and get that out of the way, which is uh, the Baylor men dropping two games last week, now 10-5 and on the year. They are 0-3 in the Big 12. They are uh, not quite... Uh, you know, drowning at this point, but the water's starting to rise a little bit, uh, and they're hopefully not in quicksand, as I said in one of my articles. We don't know for sure yet, but they lose another game here in the relatively near future, and they're stuck in a pretty bad spot. Uh, so you, you have not only two losses, but two pretty 
brutal losses uh, just in terms of how they unfolded TCU at home uh, during the week. You end up, uh, after having a lead for a majority of that game, falling 88-87. to 87. Uh, They're a top 25 team, so you know it's not like you, you lost to some bums by any means, but this was a game that was very much in your control, and you let it slip away there at the end. You have an opportunity to turn right around at home again, so back-to-back home games. You've got Jerome Tang rolling into town. Kansas State's red hot. Uh, you know, a lot of emotions, no doubt about it. And you have this one that's there for the taking. And K-State, to their credit, they rip it away from you in overtime uh, as, as it was quite the duel back and forth. But K-State outlasts you. They get the win, 97-95. So two losses. K-State now firmly in the top 25 after uh, their week, which they were not in it at all. And now they're like right in the middle of it. But, you know, big win, obviously, for Jerome Tang. Um, great win for the Wildcats, but two brutal losses by a total of three points, including that overtime game on Saturday. 0-3 in the Big 12. They'll now head to West Virginia uh, for a game tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and then Oklahoma State at home on Saturday evening. How are you feeling about Scott Drew and the Baylor men at this point? Yeah, I think this is the first time they're 0-3 in Big 12 play since like 05-06. I think was the last time they were 0-3 in Big 12 play. So it's been, I mean, this is pretty historical um, for what has happened to this team, especially when you consider the talent on the roster and also the fact that, you know, these three teams that they've played are good, but it's not like you you haven't played Kansas. You know what I mean? You've played three good teams that are solid. I I don't think any of the three are great. Um, And you had two opportunities to win two big games at home. And as we know in the Big 12, if you want to actually win the Big 12, you can't lose home games. And you definitely can't lose two this early. Uh, they're 10-5, and five, like you said, 0-3. They're one of the most disappointing teams that was ranked inside the top 10 to start the year. Um, them in North Carolina, I think, are the, the two right now that have been the most disappointing. So things just aren't clicking, really, for Baylor. And, and it's really tough because you see a game like Iowa State where – you know, the defense was bad. And then you turn right around, they play TCU, they give up 88 points. Then you turn right around, they play Kansas State, you give up 97 in overtime. The defense just is not there. And when you're expecting your offense to score a ton of points, it can get really, really tough and things become inconsistent. And I think that's what we saw uh, over the course of this week. Now, both those games were close. Both those games could have gone the other way. They could have gone in Baylor's favor, uh, but they simply didn't. And when you're not playing your best basketball and you're allowing teams to hang around in games that are at home in your building, this is what can happen. Now, on the flip side, their next four games, they have three games on the road, one game at home, but all four of these games are against teams that I think they are clearly better than. And they got to find a way to win at least three of them. Uh, If they want to really start making a run at things going forward, uh, it's at West Virginia, Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, which will be tough, at Oklahoma, and that's all before that Kansas game on January 23rd. So a lot of ground to make up here, uh, but Baylor needs to find a way to be 500 after this stretch. Try to get to 4-4 and after this, even though it's it's a gauntlet. You got three road games out of the next four, and then your next home game after that is is against Kansas. Um, And then you get Arkansas. And then at Texas. So it's not going to get any easier for them. No, it is not. So uh, the Baylor men struggling right now. Two brutally, you know, tough losses, but, you know, compounded by the fact that they were so close to being, you yeah. know, 2-0 and last week. And if they were, then they are firmly, like, in the top 10, uh, you would think. But 
Uh, instead, they are teetering very much right now, and so we'll see uh, what they're able to do tomorrow night on the road in Morgantown. Meanwhile, the Baylor women, Nikki Collin, uh, in some places, uh, you know, honored as the national team of the week as they had a big 2-0 showing, 12-3 and overall on the year right now, 3-0 and in conference play. They've won four straight ball games, and uh, that included their two most recent for the first time in program history going on the road and getting back-to-back top 25 wins. You would think that that's something that Kim Mulkey would have done like multiple times, but no, never had done it before uh, in this program's history. So they go to Norman, and they beat number 17 Oklahoma 81-70. to They go to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and they beat number 21 Kansas 75-62. So Back-to-back, impressive top 25 win. Sarah Andrews is on fire right now. Uh, they're getting great contributions from uh, Little Page Bugs and uh, Caitlin Bickle, obviously, and Asbury, and the list goes on and on. We do know that Drayona Edwards is not going to be playing for them this year after you know some thoughts that perhaps she could be uh, found eligible or granted eligibility uh, after transfer from Kentucky. Uh, her former coach is not going to play along uh she is not going to be able to to suit up this year so they will have her for you know what is the next couple of seasons afterwards but that was a piece that you thought maybe if they can add her and the momentum they've got then man it's all going to be clicking and instead uh that puts a little bit of a damper on things but still uh, a great week overall for colin and and the bears and garrett uh chime in as you see fit uh as well I, for me, I think I've been I've been so impressed with the development of this team, the growth over the past couple of weeks. I think Sarah Andrews has done a tremendous job of kind of stepping up and becoming the leader of this team. Where uh, you know, looking early on in the year, Asia Blackwell kind of took that role. Unfortunately, her injury has sidelined her. Uh, Sarah goes off against Oklahoma, drops thirty, a career high, and then goes out against Kansas and. Give the Jayhawks credit. I think they did a really good job of game planning against Sarah and not letting her beat them in the first half. Unfortunately, for their part and for Baylor Pan's uh, joy, Sarah just started clicking, uh, and she went off. Uh, but they do not win that game, in my opinion, without Caitlin Bickle, and it's not the the play that she did from scoring. It's what she was doing away from the ball. It was the, the diving for the loose balls, taking the charges, the rebounding. Uh, she did a really good job of taking the Kansas Center Jackson out of her game and gotten her head really, and I was really impressed with. If you watched the game early on, Kansas's defense was so aggressive in the paint; they had multiple block shots. And Baylor, instead of being intimidated by it, just kept going at them, going at them, going at them, and eventually worked. He got them in foul trouble. Uh, Dariana Littlepage Bugs continues to impress me, being so young. I think she's got a. I mean, the, the future ahead of her is unreal. How bright it is! Um, this this team is really starting to click on all cylinders perfectly at the time when you're looking at conference play. Um, I don't know as far as uh, Blackwell's status when you're going to get her back, but just seeing how this team has has kind of rallied and hit their stride right now, if they do get her back, I expect a deep run into the postseason. Yeah, I think that's a key, right? If they can get her back, she would definitely raise their ceiling to another level. But winning games like this tells you they can win games against pretty much anyone in the Big 12. You know, winning these games back-to-back like this. Sarah Andrews, 57 points between those two games. She was fantastic. And like you mentioned, uh, the two bigs, Caitlin Bickle and Darion Lilpage, they combined for 29 points in 20 five rebounds in that game against uh, Kansas. They were awesome. And they're taking big steps in the right direction. So, yeah, like you said, two teams trending in very different directions. And it's kind of funny because if you just look back two weeks ago, you might have been saying the complete opposite. Yeah, Um, you would have, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a tale of two seasons right now. But uh, 
you know, both these teams in conference play need to continue to either gain momentum or continue to ride with the momentum they've gathered. Yeah, you would have thought uh, the Lady Bear, well, excuse me, not Lady Bears anymore, but uh, the Baylor women would have been, you know, on the verge of perhaps falling out of the top 25, and instead they've just secured their spot there for at least a little while longer. Uh, whereas the men now, you know, firmly in the top five to 10, you know, depending on where you, you look in various, you know, online polls or just the, the, you know, firm established polls themselves, and they're they're sliding. They're sliding in a major way. So, a uh, great week for the Baylor women, and uh, does seem like they've got some you know some momentum building uh, up for uh, Nikki Collin and company. So that's where they are right now. Should mention as far as the the hoops goes, since we uh, did start talking about recruiting, the Baylor men didn't have a totally bad yeah. week. Uh, they had an an you know, an awful week in terms of results, but uh, as far as recruiting goes, they did get one piece of very good news, and that was Eves Missy uh, committing to Baylor, and I hope I'm saying that right, but uh, he gave his pledge, the big five-star, uh, a few days back, near seven-footer. They get a big man uh, commit and uh, another, you know, blue-chip type player for Scott Drew to add to this, you know, this impressive run that they've been on as far as acquiring talent so uh, obviously not somebody that can come in and help them right away but he's been on an interesting journey this staff is renowned for their ability to go find you know international guys and their international relations uh, but I know that he's been you know everywhere from Cameroon to Maryland and, and eventually it's going to take him to Waco Texas so he's missing top 25 player uh, you know in, in most of the rankings um your thoughts on on what he means for Scott Drew and company moving forward. Yeah, and they needed to add a, a five-star big man, and we've kind of talked about that. They need to get better down low, and I know you're missing Everyday John this year, and that's not something you could have necessarily prepared for, but you know, you got Josh O still developing. That's going to take some time, and then Flo, who's been there forever, you kind of know what you have with him, but I do think they they need to continue to focus on bringing in playmakers and difference makers in the post because they do matter. At the end of the day, you have the ability to change a game with rebounding and on the defensive side and as big postmen who can roll to the basket. Um, and he's like that. You know, he's right around seven foot, 230 pounds, seven, six wingspan. So very long, um, like you said, a five-star prospect. But one of the more intriguing things about him is that he might actually reclassify. So he's currently a 2024 prospect, but there's a chance he ends up in the 2023 class which would have him enrolling for next season uh, which I think would be massive for this Baylor program to get a talent like that on campus uh, that quickly so yeah huge pickup uh, Baylor won the battle over Texas and Stanford uh, for him but he had other offers Kansas and, and many others but that was his final three I think it probably helped that on his visit to, to Texas I think it was like a day or two after is when Chris Beard uh, got oh, arrested well, so that will uh, do it I don't think that helped many things for Texas's direction but for Baylor's direction I, I think they're in a great spot and we've seen what Scott Drew's been able to do with bigs in the past um, and now he's got a big five-star to work with and, and this is a huge pickup for for Baylor and like you said even though it's not coming all together on the court so far this year at least they're continuing to continuing to recruit at a high level because that consistently keeps your floor and ceiling very high. Yes, it does. So uh, Eves Missy, a five-star get for Scott Drew and Baylor basketball last week, uh, brightening up some of the the overcast skies uh, from the from the two losses last week, but uh, unfortunately cannot do anything to help you right now, and they need some help right now to, to kind of get things back on track. So women's basketball playing really well, men's basketball struggling football 
picking up a handful of, of new faces and uh, just churning that roster over and over. Uh, anything else before we dive into the mailbag here? No, I don't I don't think so. The mailbag's packed, so we got a lot yeah. to answer. H. York, what are the chances on the Mississippi State quarterback? Of course, talking about Sawyer Robertson. Yeah, it's between Baylor and TCU, and I mean, I put in a prediction two days ago um, for Baylor, and I, I still feel pretty good about that. I, I think he's going to end up being a Baylor Bear and being uh, the primary competition uh, with Blake Shapin and then whoever the, the veteran they bring in, if it is Tristan Jebbia, uh, those three battling it out. But I, I think Robertson, when you watch his high school tape and you understand the fact that he was coached by Mike Leach for a few years and just the simple fact that you know Mike Leach develops quarterbacks at a very high level and he was a highly rated guy, um, he'd be a great pickup for uh, – for the Baylor staff, and I feel good about Baylor's chances right now. H. York, what are your thoughts on women's basketball? Colin hasn't played well. I think we just kind of talked about that a little bit. They are playing really good basketball right now. Yeah, I like what I'm seeing from them, and developmental-wise, I think is the biggest thing, right? You're seeing a lot of younger um, girls who are excelling, and then you're seeing some older girls who are taking another step, like Sarah Andrews, and I think that's very encouraging to see. Uh, Scotty B, who's the most petty coach in college football or basketball right now, in your opinion? I admit for me, it's the Kentucky women's basketball coach, Kyra Elsie, by far because of the Dre Edwards situation, which I'll speak up on that situation and call the coach out on her ridiculousness hmm. when the motto for her is empowering women and showing kindness to players. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty bad, right? That That's a pretty bad one. I, I Most petty in all of college sports, uh, Shoo. I mean, that little feud between Nick Saban and Jimbo was absolutely ridiculous this offseason. So that's up there. I feel like Gary Patterson was extremely petty hey, as well. Yeah, yeah. When he was at TCU. Those are a few that come to mind basketball-wise. I don't – I mean, I don't really know basketball-wise. Maybe Calipari. Maybe. I, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, but, I mean, the Dre Edwards situation, as far as the transfer rules go, they are what they are. You know, I, I, and I understand why everybody wants, you know – uh, Coach Elsie to to change her mind, but I mean they are the rules, and that's why when Mac Rhodes was asked about it, he's like, "Well, you know, we hate it, but like nothing we can do about it." So you know, it's pettiness or it's whatever you want to call it. Uh, she made her decision. They're a 500 basketball team, and you know, I don't know what what her situation is exactly. I didn't really totally love the way she kind of approached the question when asked about it. Um, but, you know, I don't know all the, the happenings there as far as her relationship with, with Dre Edwards and all that goes. But you are seeing people just be, be, being granted waivers pretty much left and right. Nobody's really trying to to uh, stop too many people from playing. And this is one of those cases where there isn't that, you know, happening. And, and you know, somebody is being prevented from playing due to the rules. So it is what it is. And, you know, the Baylor women will move on and uh, we'll have her, as uh, Nikki Collins said, in the fold next year and start planning for, for what that will entail. L. Greendike, uh, are you surprised we haven't seen any transfers migrate over with the new coaches? Was hoping for that. Yeah, and this is uh, her first ever post. So post more, continue to ask questions and, and be on the board um, for sure. As far as transfers go, um, you know, I think the natural inclination is that whenever a coach comes to a new program, they're automatically going to bring a bunch of players with them. And that doesn't really happen all that often. If you kind of look through uh, coaches on the move, it happens a lot more with head coaches than it does with assistants. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, Pallage was a co-defensive coordinator. 
Uh, he wasn't the only defense coordinator. And to be honest, that's Dan Lanning's defensive philosophy because he was the defense coordinator at Georgia before Oregon. So hard to expect a mass exodus from Oregon after their successful season and, um, you know, the role that a lot of those guys played in that. Maybe they're able to land one or two, but you're not going to land a bunch um, from that program, especially currently. And then Christian Robinson, uh, again, I, it, it just doesn't really happen where you just automatically start landing guys when you're a position coach. Um, it usually takes more time than that. It's the connections that you've built over time, you know, and the guys that you recruited who eventually, if they decide to make a decision to enter the transfer portal, then maybe you're able to land them. But typically that happens down the line, not immediately in one off season. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for the question. Hopefully uh, hear from you some more, El Green. Dak, uh, JD90, do you think we have a legit quarterback competition this spring, or do you think we have shape in his QB1, somebody else taking the backup snaps? Um, I think there's going to be a, a legit competition. Oh, hold on, sorry. And I don't mean this to sound like a knock against Shapin. I think he has the potential to become a great quarterback in this league, but I think it'd be good for him and the team for him to be pushed in the spring. Oh. They're definitely going to have competition. They're not rolling in with just Blake Shapin as their only scholarship No, and they're definitely not talking to any of the quarterbacks that they're recruiting and telling them anything other than you have a legit chance to come in and win the quarterback competition. Like, no doubt about it. And I'm sure they're telling Blake the same thing. Like, Blake's seeing them bring in recruits. Blake's seeing them go out and bring in more talent to compete against him. And to be honest, you know, there's nothing that Blake did this year that should have him sitting there thinking that he's automatically the starting quarterback. And I don't think he, there's really anything he did this year that's having the coaches go, he's automatically our starter going into next year. I think this is going to be an open competition. They're going to bring in as much talent as they can to that quarterback room. And they're going to make whoever wins the job absolutely work for it just like Shapin had to uh, last year and Gary had to the year before McClendonbury 18 did Baylor Athletics accidentally disturb an ancient burial ground or get hexed by a witch only kind of kidding what percent chance do you give Baylor men to make the NCAA tournament feels like a loss in Morgantown puts them in the danger zone I mean as far as the the curse thing goes I mean it was a bad couple of weeks but I do think people are just being way too negative and and I know like you know I can venture over into the negative sometimes but like compared to the board i'm like mr positivity i feel like it's the most bizarre thing like in another scenario i'd probably be like why are you being so negative but i see like certain posts are just uh you know certain thoughts thrown out there last week and i i just i think it's i don't know i think it's silly to be so over the top with like it's just so bad it, it's yeah there were some rough bumps in the road football landed very rocky but they're retooling the roster and uh, I don't know, man. I, I, it's not always going to be great. There's going to be trials and tribulations, and so I don't think they got hexed by a witch or anything like that. I, I, I do think, though, that there is some uh, some work to be done, and, and that's all there is to it. But, I mean, this whole, like, every time they lose, you know, every time there's, like, a little stretch of bad news, like, the sky has to be falling. It's, it's not it's – not, a roller coaster all the time. Like some yeah. some weeks are just better than others, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean Baylor won a national championship in basketball two years ago. We're a one seed last year, and then the football team won the Sugar Bowl, won the Big Twelve Championship last year. Like we're not very far removed from a ton of success, and eventually you're gonna have a year or two where you go through a tough stretch. And it's kind of how do you respond to those stretches? How do you react to those? And not just from Baylor athletics standpoint, but also as fans. Like you gotta be able to react. Um, find ways, find ways to turn negatives into positives. And that's what I think Baylor's trying to do as well. Um, now, as far as the question goes, I would put this at about a, I think they're, I think they're making the tournament. 
I'm going to put this, I, I think it's like 90% they're going to make the tournament. And I know if they lose in Morgantown, that maybe changes some things. But I just don't see any way with the talent on this roster, with Scott Drew as the head coach, that this team doesn't find a way to make the NCAA tournament. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, no, I think they are definitely making the NCAA tournament. If they don't, that would be shocking and, and massively disappointing. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, in the camp of – of them missing out just yet. They know it was a few more games. They're obviously going to be in some danger as far as that goes, but not, not there just yet. Uh, across 98, how would you uh, grade Baylor's success in recruiting the transfer portal this cycle compared to other Big 12 schools? Yeah, I think they're in the top half. So I think they're right around top five, um, which is basically where they are in the recruiting rankings and then the transfer portal uh, added to that. I think they're right around four or five. Dylan Reese, 12, do you guys have any insight on the feel and vibes in the football program right now? How is morale? Yeah, I think there's a um, a positivity as far as wanting to get back on the field and prove that this past year was not who they are. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think there's just this desire to start spring football and kind of put that bad taste out of their mouths and get back out there and get back to work and be a lot better next season. I think the coaches probably feel exactly that same way the players do. Um, I just think they, they're ready to get back out there because once you get back out there and you start playing more football and start practicing, you're able to move forward from what was a, a really tough year. Golden Green, there are plenty of players in the portal still more entering. Is there any chance we land a transfer who would enroll in the spring who was not on an official visit at Baylor this past weekend? I.e., if we miss on a position in need, but want to fill a spot for sake of competition and development in spring ball. Um, I guess that's possible. Yeah, if they decide to move on, if they completely strike out. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, so, but it would have to happen really quickly. Really quick. It'd have to be that you know a guy makes a decision in the next day or two, and then Baylor immediately offers someone who hasn't been on campus. So you're essentially offering someone who you kind of have been talking to, you kind of like, you know who they are, um, but you weren't able to get them on a visit. So that, that would be pretty risky of the Baylor staff. But, yes, it's possible. Bear Sack, be honest, it was kind of fun watching the Frogs get spanked tonight. Uh, what a kick in the growls it must be to have your best season ever and come away with no championship, Big 12 or Natty. Oof. And I uh, I put a question out there on Twitter um, because it started to make me think because that game was so lopsided. I mean, if that game was like 40 to 14 or even, you know, 28 to 3 or something, like that would have been bad. It was 65 to 7, y'all. They were doing celebrations and curtain calls to start the fourth quarter. <laughs> they were like, the whole team got a send off. They were eating wings on the sidelines. Eating wings on the <laughs> sidelines. Like, this wasn't just a, they went to the national championship game and they lost. They got embarrassed. And, and like, look, I'm of the mind that, yeah, you would typically, yes, you would take the national championship spot and all of the billions or whatever in PR that you got. Absolutely. Like, enrollment's going to shoot up. Recruiting's going to get better. But, dude, it's just as possible recruiting gets hurt by that result last night. It's just as possible that guys who thought that TCU could really win a title in this era go like, you know what? Never mind. I don't think that it's possible. I mean, they're still going to get a ton of benefits from this. But to act like just being there and getting beat 65-7 to (laughs) is some huge victory, and you can't even question like, well, how successful was that really by the end of it? I don't know, man. I'm not buying this whole, like, well, let's celebrate them, and that was great, and, like, there's no reason to question how great it really was. It was 65-7. to 7. 
come on now. Like yeah. that was that was not just losing. That was losing in historic fashion. And I saw somebody um that said, well, they got watched by 25 million people. It's like, so 25 million people who don't typically watch college football, because normally like a TCU game is maybe anywhere from like 750K to like 7 million playing, a t- or, you know, whatever it might be. I think it was what, 12 million for the Big 12 title game. So yeah. yeah, that's great. They got this huge audience that they got embarrassed in front of that most don't even know who TCU is. And the next time they see them, what are they thinking? They're thinking, that's the team that got absolutely just mutilated in front of the entire country in the national championship game. So, like, I don't think it's crazy to question how damaging that loss was last night. No, I I think you're exactly right. I mean, how do you go into a, you know, in a, a visit and say, yeah, we made it to the national championship, um, but we're uh, 58 points behind Georgia currently. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's tough. I will say, though, you know, they when did win a Fiesta Bowl, to be did. clear, in a college football playoff They're game. They're the f- only Big 12 yeah. team to ever win a college football playoff game. And that's why I even said in my question that, like, I think you take TCU season. But the beatdown makes me at least go, huh, I wonder if you'd rather have won a, you know, a non-playoff game. Like, I, I made the Baylor and comparison. And a Big 12 championship. And a Big yeah. 12 championship. I think that's a legitimate question. I, I really do, because... Of the way last night went. Now, I would still probably take TCU season because of all the PR and all of that. But it's worth at least wondering about, given how that unfolded. Yeah, and they won 13 games, which yeah. is puts you in you know a different level. Sure. Um, for sure. But, I mean, so since 1992, which is basically when we started having these one-versus-two matchups for national championships, uh, the only one that is – well, none of them are close, but the, the highest margin was 1995 when Nebraska beat Florida, 62-24. to has a 38-point spread. Um, in the BCS era, it was USC over Oklahoma, 55-19 to in 2004, which was a 36-point spread. Uh, in the college football playoff era, though, 28 points is the biggest margin of defeat, which was Bama over Ohio State in 2021 and Clemson over Bama in 2019. It's the most, it's the biggest <laughs> margin of victory ever in a bowl game, in any bowl game. It was 56 points, and now it's up to 58 because of this game. I mean, it was just a laughable situation, and it seemed like every time I looked up from my computer, it was another touchdown for Georgia. And just watching that game and just seeing the way that Georgia just physically dominated that game, and also the fact that TCU just flat out said, we wanted, after the second quarter, they were like, we want no part of this. We're, we're Dude, done with this. I like, thought I want to go home. I said yesterday before the game, the thing I was most wrong on was I felt like, oh, Kaz Kazadi, and you know, his name's like lore around here uh, in Waco. Um, he's treated like he's the only strength and conditioning coach that ever existed. He's basically like the greatest of all time for some people. And I think he's great at what he does. I also think there are lots of other guys who are pretty good at what they do too. And Georgia's got a different level of athletes, so they're playing with a bit of a, yeah. of a different hand. They are. But the one thing that I did say was, all right, at least with him, like I know they are not going to quit. They are going to fight. They are going to make it as tough as possible on Georgia. I was wrong. They quit. They clearly quit because they were getting whooped so bad at, at one point. I think even even Mr. Motivation, Mr. You know, can can take any team and have them go fight whoever. I think even he was sitting there going, like, I, I got nothing for this. Like, no. I'm starting to doubt myself now. Like, yeah. I, I really do think that's how just much they got uh, just, you know, put out to, 
put out to pasture. I uh, mean, curtain calls in the fourth. I know, qu- man. Like the beginning of the fourth quarter. I mean, we're talking third string running backs were out there running for touchdowns for Georgia. I mean, actually fourth or fifth historically embarrassing. Backs. I mean, yeah. it was it was atrocious, but. Again. Kirk Herbstreit's in there just dunking on the Big oh, Twelve yeah. on uh, anybody outside of the Big Ten. Like, like I was saying, all of that talk about like a Big Twelve team getting in, and yes, they did make up some ground. They won a playoff game and all that. But I do feel like it almost all gets negate, negated by that result. Yeah, but see, okay, so there's where I push back a little bit because Kirk Herbstreit doing all that junk is also. Well, it's not, like, I'm not basing it on him solely. No, no, but I'm just saying they still beat Michigan and they right. still put up. 40-something points on them and ran the, dominated the line of scrimmage yes. against Michigan. And everyone's like, oh, the winner of the Ohio State-Georgia you know, Ohio State Georgia game was going to win the championship. Okay, well, uh, Michigan blew out Ohio State in Columbus earlier right, yeah. this year. So my, I guess my overarching thing on this is you can say everything you want, but he, here's, here's what it comes down to. Ohio State had four weeks to prepare for Georgia. TCU had one week to prepare for Georgia, and I don't think Michigan would have handled the situation better maybe the game looks closer they still would have gotten smashed it it would have been a 30 point win in my eyes 28 something along those lines and I think if Ohio State didn't have all that time to prep I don't think their result would have been as close with Georgia either I think TCU kind of caught fire they had a great game plan going into the Michigan game they didn't have the time to game plan for Georgia and unfortunately Georgia was able to do what Michigan thought they were going to do which is run the football over them and create big plays which they didn't yeah, I'm with you. I wasn't really mentioning that to debate Herb Street's points because I thought it was laughable what yeah. he was trying to to get over. I was saying merely that they were having to fill time in the entire fourth quarter and really the whole second half, just coming up with conversations to fill in the, the gaps in the actual action because it was so yeah they did lacking and entertaining in competition. Like so, that's that's where I'm coming from. And like I said, I still think you take TCU season, but because of how it ended, I think it's at least like you go hmm. Yeah, that was really bad. It's a question I will also tell you. Recruiting-wise, they've done most of their damage, so they were able to capitalize on it towards the end here, and maybe in February they are, but you're exactly right. Like You have to build on that because next year if they go 6-6, six and six, well, a lot of that momentum is going to get zapped. Yeah, and uh, they did win quite a few close games this year. So 9-1 uh, and one in games that were decided by 10 yep. or less points, 6-1 and one in games that were decided by a touchdown or less, so uh, a ton, whereas Georgia only played in two games that were like that. Yeah, and they and that, were two and zero. That Georgia schedule next year is so laughable. Have y'all seen that? Cake that walk. thing is ridiculous. So bad. Man. Oh, they're, they're already in the playoff. I mean, yep. they they were even if it was a tough schedule, we'd all pick Georgia to be back in the playoff. But with that schedule, like them, if they don't make the playoff, that would be one of the biggest upsets in college football history. I It'd mean, be shocking. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's roll through these last few ones. Oso Coriel, uh, question for the Bearcats. If you get beat by a score large enough to cover a whole season of losses, do all the players lose an additional year of eligibility? Asking for a purple friend, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it. Yeah, you probably should probably should lose a year of eligibility. I mean, it was it was so bad. Uh, I bet it took years off those players' lives, too. Just the fact that you're going to have to watch that over and over throughout the rest of your career. I mean, in some of the performances, like Quentin Johnston, one catch for three yards. Max Duggan, 142 yards and two picks. He had a rushing touchdown, but my goodness, it just felt like their best players were not great. Trevious Hodges Tomlinson got blown by a couple times in coverage as well. I mean, it just was bad performances all around by even their best players. Yeah, any chance they had slipped away with a couple of turnovers they had quick and early. Like, they had... An ability to kind of stay close, and then they just got uh, 
got out of control pretty quick. David Dane, did the way we competed on the field this past season have an effect on the way higher-level quarterbacks looked at us as a transfer destination, or is it more the fact that Baylor is ride or die with Blake Shapin? I mean, I, I don't think Baylor's had a problem with... I mean, if they land Sawyer Robertson and Tristan Jebbia, they did exactly what they wanted out of the transfer portal. I mean, to be honest, they, they didn't really have a ton of guys to take official visits out of the portal, and those seem to be their top priority targets. So I, I don't think that it really affected them at all. I think these were the guys that Baylor ended up wanting, um, and these were the guys that they ended up trying to get on campus. So I think the fact of the matter is, and I've mentioned this probably a thousand times, they were not going to get Grayson McCall. They were not going to get Sam Hartman. Um, they were not going to get some of these other guys. Like They just weren't. And unfortunately, in the NIL era, you have to pick and choose your spots with guys that you feel like are true difference makers. Um, and Baylor was not going to spend, you know, that kind of NIL money on those type of guys who I don't think they believe are a big enough upgrade from the guys that they could have on the roster going into next year. Panther City Bear, how much of the TCU blowout help our chances with Robertson? Uh, I don't think it mattered at all. To be honest, I think, um, to be honest, I think he probably decided before the national championship game where he was going, in my eyes. I think he'd already made that decision. Um, you know, if TC goes out there and blows out Georgia, okay, maybe that's a different conversation. But I think, I think, I don't think that that single game was going to impact which way he was going to go, whether it was TCU or Baylor. Edible, would you rather your favorite team go six and six or lose by fifty eight in the national championship game? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I don't think. Hey, by the way, it was six and seven. They, they, yeah. You got to be fair there, but yes. And it's just funny when you say it that way, right? Is, or lose yeah. by fifty eight in the national championship game. <laughs> oh man, we haven't heard from Edible in a while. It's, I feel like, and we he, here he comes, just him. delivering the goods yeah. right, right out of the gates. Yeah. Uh, are we going to answer it? I'll go with lose by 58 in the national championship game, but that's what everybody's yelling at me about. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I think you would all that exposure and PR and, and all of that in the playoff win. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but when you, you put it or lose by 58 yeah. in the national championship game, it does take a little away from and you. You don't I'm even sorry. put the record or anything. You just lose by 58. That's just, yeah. wow. Woo. Would yeah. you rather your favorite team go 6-6 six and six or lose by 58 <laughs> in the national championship game? Oh, man. Uh, overall, Minion, how does TCU's season impact the Big 12, and does that impact rollover onto any of the teams in the conference? Thanks, guys, and that will close it out here. Uh, so thank you, Overall, Minion. Yeah, I mean, the blowout is unfortunate, I suppose, for the Big 12. I've talked about this ad nauseum, it feels like. This result, nothing about this game mattered for the Big 12, in my opinion. They got there. They won a college football playoff game. They got to a national championship. Great. That's cool for the Big 12. Um, but overall, like I think what it does do is show a Big 12 team can win a college football playoff game. A Big 12 team can get to the national championship. There's a path there, even in the four-team playoff, which means in a 12-team playoff, there's a path to having multiple teams in the college football playoff and multiple opportunities uh, to get to a championship game. Um, but I think that's about all that this season does as far as in relation to the Big 12. Um, I think it definitely helped it more than it hurt it, even with the blowout. And as far as TCU goes, they made it to a national championship. So that definitely helped them close out their class really, really strong. Yeah, I don't think it rolls over onto the other teams. Uh, and we're going to have an expanded playoff here in a couple of years anyway. So, like, the whole idea, too, is, you know, you got a playoff win – and uh, who knows how eva or elusive that will be for teams in the Big 12. But if we're going to have this expanded playoff and now all of a sudden you got your conference champ and maybe they're, you know, playing a, 
a team that's beatable in the first round, you know, they could have a playoff win too. There could be a handful of teams with playoff wins once it's expanded mm-hmm. uh, that otherwise wouldn't be getting them. Um, so um, I don't I don't know how much of a, of a impact really that TCU has other than, you know, people can believe in the four – team playoff era which is lasting again like maybe a couple more years like a team can get in there and, and win a semi but that's all we really learned from it um and I now I don't think there's any trickle down effect and I do wonder after last night if there isn't more negative than positive like not in TCU's case there's more positive than negative um but you know as far as the conference goes I think they did a lot of damage last night I absolutely do I don't I don't see how you could argue otherwise um because the narrative of they can't compete at this level is got it has more ammunition behind it now than it ever did before. I mean, easily. So I just you know, but I think that's then just forgetting the fact that they beat Michigan, who was undefeated at the time. Who and everyone's talking about oh the big the Big Ten can compete at this level, but then it's like yeah, but the Big Twelve beat a Big Ten team this year that was the best team in the Big Ten, the best they had sure. to offer, and TCU beat them so. I just I I know that this takes a lot of shine off of it. I understand that because they got blown out. But like crazy things do happen in national champion, not to this level, but crazy things do happen in national championship games. I think we can also all agree Georgia was the best team in the nation. Oh yeah, that's from for start sure. to finish. Like it didn't matter who they were playing on that night. They played so well. They were the best team. Congrats to them. But I. I just think that it would be a shame to completely overreact to it just because of the simple fact that they did win a college football playoff game against a team that a lot of people continue to say is credible and a conference that is credible. I think the Big 12 deserves some credit for that. Uh, yeah, I think they deserve credit for proving that they can win a playoff game, but I'm still going to maintain that I don't think this really rubbed off very well. I, I think that, that that result last night does take a lot of that shine away. In my opinion, and, and others can disagree, and that's totally fine. It's, it's an opinion. Um, so... That's fine, but no, I'm with you. I think there was some definite benefit, but I think right here in this moment coming out of last night, like, yeah, nobody's thinking about the semifinal win over Michigan. Um, They're thinking about probably how did Michigan lose that game or why wasn't TCU the four seed? They, you know, Ohio State should have been the three. I think that's more of the conversation than... Well, because they beat Michigan. (laughs) You know, they were better than Michigan. No, you're right. Yeah. But... We can agree to disagree on how positive that semifinal win ended up being for the perception of the conference. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a great season for them. It was, you know, a disappointing end. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, I guess it depends on on who you want to listen to as far as the the narrative about the Big 12 goes. But uh, they did earn a playoff win. And so there was that. Um, anything else before we go here, Grayson? No, I don't, I don't think so. Be sure to join Sikkim 365 Premium. We have all kinds of content, news, notes, recruiting updates. Uh, this is a big finish um, for this transfer portal time period as Baylor gets ready to uh, start up spring ball uh, here in a little while. And then, of course, um, 365 Sports Radio. Uh, we have that every day, 3 to 6, on YouTube, Monday through Friday. Go hang out, listen to all the college football talk. Um, And, of course, I know, Craig, y'all do a great job with that as well. All right. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes. And thanks to Grayson Grudhafer. Uh, We'll be back next week. Be back later today at 3 o'clock for 365 Sports, as you mentioned. But uh, until next time, the Bearcast will talk to you a week from today at around noon right here on this very YouTube channel. So until next time, appreciate you listening. It's been the Bearcast on 365 Sports, Sikkim365.com.